Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country, and to be um, relatively conscious, is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. Happy New Year and welcome to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Glad uh, that you're listening to this podcast. Grateful that you made it to 2023. Certainly don't want to take that for granted. Wanted to uh, review or preview, depending on your perspective, uh, the 2023 South Carolina State Legislature. Uh, It is Tuesday around 11 o'clock. They are scheduled to start their session today. I had the uh, good fortune to attend a legislative uh, preview or meeting uh, for the media uh, that was organized by the South Carolina Press Association. Been working with the Press Association for the last two years. I do want to give you guys some some background and perspective on this. It's really important and really uh, personal to me. Uh, if you remember, and really wasn't that long ago, 2020, a lot of, you know, the time, oh, I, I should say around the time uh, when, where George, when George Floyd was murdered, you know, there was a lot of, you know, upheaval and uprisings, and rightfully so. And at that time, you know, I had a chance to really just look at the landscape, you know, not just in the country, but just the different things that were going on. And as a journalist, and as an independent journalist, largely, I wanted to look at, you know, what opportunities there were for people like myself, specifically African Americans. And so at that point, I, you know, reached out to see what could be done to, you know, diversify. Well, diversify isn't the right word. The right word is to uh, empower or equip uh, black independent journalists, you know, uh, to have the backing of the South Carolina Press Association, which does speak to, you know, training opportunities, which does speak to access. And this event is a good example of that. You know, you otherwise don't get a chance to ask state legislature state state legislators, you know, specific questions about health care, about education, about abortion, you know, whatever issues might come up to be in that uh, proximity, you know, with state legislators is a great opportunity, uh, certainly an opportunity, if nothing else, to express uh, community concerns, express, you know, personal concerns. At any rate, uh, say about a year or two went by, of course, you know, a lot of different things going on. Uh, was finally uh, accepted as an individual member of the SCPA, glad for that. And through collaborations with the SCPA, had a chance to meet young black journalists. Excited, certainly I'm excited about that. Had the chance to uh, volunteer uh, very recently at Claflin University and speak to a class there. That was like one of the high points of last year in terms of just professionally, was being able to speak to that group and you know, just share some of my experiences, you know, as a freelance journalist, as someone who's also, you know, worked in newsrooms and, you know, just talking about autonomy and talking about, you know, journalistic integrity, all those different types of things. Nevertheless, this is a conversation about the South Carolina State Legislature, and I will be remiss if I didn't talk about how extremely supremacist that legislature is. And, you know, a lot of political things are done with 
are presumably done uh, with an air of diplomacy and decency. That is how they are presented. And yet when you look at the South, South Carolina state legislature, there are two uh, particular points of reference that I want to bring up before we get into a general discussion about, you know, policy and such. The first was a recent decision by federal judges uh, to strike down South Carolina's first congressional district as racial gerrymandering. And to be clear, that is a function of redistricting, which is to say that every 10, well, the, the way the process goes is that every 10 years, uh, congressional maps are redrawn, you know, to basically ensure <laughs> fairness in voting. What happens is, what happens invariably in politics is that people will use political um, proximity and access and power to their advantage. And this is what, you know, Republicans are certainly doing in South Carolina. And it's being done at the expense of black voters, specifically in Charleston. Now, one might think that, you know, state house Republicans would, you know, take this federal ruling and use it as a means of accountability to say, you know, perhaps we got this wrong. You know, certainly if we thought we got this right. Federal judges are saying something else. And with the history of, you know, gerrymandering and, you know, controversy and redistricting, certainly the intent, if nothing else, will be to get it right. Nope, not a chance. Um, the attitudes that I experienced yesterday as, you know, those discussions were being had, you know, were attitudes of, quite frankly, of defiance. And uh, you can look or you, I, I would say with great certainty that Republicans will certainly push back on this federal ruling. And, you know, there'll be a fight about the maps for many, you know, certainly weeks and months to come. So that's something to look for. The second, and I believe this will have more uh, national ramifications, you know, as the weeks and months go on, is the presence of the Freedom Caucus. And if you're not familiar with the Freedom Caucus, it is uh, the most far right um, House Republican uh, voting block or representative block. And we, <laughs> I, I really think, you know, we truly underestimate or have underestimated the effect of January 6th on, you know, if you want to call this a democracy, whatever you want to call it, republic, however you want to frame it or shape it, understand the effect of January 6th and the collusion between government uh, and, and when I, and I mean status quo government and racist factions um, and the, the collusion and the collaborative effort like of, of these entities, of course the police is a part of that. Like we, we, we can't state enough like how the, the normalization of, that activity and that ideology like has really just affected like our everyday politics. So, and I'll bring this to South Carolina later. I do. Let me talk about this very briefly from a national perspective. Okay. We all laughed at Kevin McCarthy um, as he vied for the speakership and, you know, round after round after round. And there were certain, you know, house Republicans who would not vote for him. Understand uh significant number of the individuals who did not vote for him were members of this freedom caucus of this far right block, which is to say that Kevin McCarthy, who was approved by Donald Trump, <laughs> that approval was not enough. And there were um, far right house Republicans who 
wanted certain concessions, who wanted McCarthy to sign off on certain promises before they uh, guaranteed his vote, which is dynamic from the perspective of understanding one's political power and the power of one's vote. On the other hand, it's understanding that you're making concessions for racist ideologies and racist practices. And so you have this Freedom Caucus. And let me just say this about Republicans and GOPers and Fox News or however, you you know, whatever this you know group reports to be. Like, understand the power of names and understand the power of branding, because where, you know, we could call them white wing or call them racist. They've branded themselves as the Freedom Caucus, which implies, you know, that implies sensible politics, which applies or implies patriotism, all of these, you know, um, American ideals. And yet these people are anything but, you know, when you think about Freedom Caucus, you know, think about individuals like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, and in South Carolina, and this is, <laughs> like I said, for me, re- hits really close to home. When you look at the South Carolina Freedom Caucus, uh, you have a young woman here, uh, Melissa O'Remus, uh, who uh, is a part of this caucus. And this caucus, you know, they have views that you can that are predictable. Um, you know, they are uh, obviously uh, anti-abortionist um, when they say pro-life. Pro-life is an interesting uh, viewpoint for people to take when they say, okay, we want a child to be born, but if that child is born into poverty, these pro-life people don't care. Um, If that child is born into a world of racist ideology, these pro-life people don't care. With the homelessness and, you know, the educational challenges and all of these things that we experience in South Carolina, Do these folks want to invest more in education? Do they want to invest more in housing? Of course not. They want to invest more in the, they want to put a bunch of money in the police. And when it comes to education, they want to divest public funds and put them into private charters. So the question is pro-life for who? (laughs) I want to say this, and I will talk more about South Carolina politics after the break. I want to be clear that the failure to not only rebuke, um, freedom caucuses and, you know, far, uh, you know, right wingers and people of their ilk in conjunction with the inability to organize in the face of these groups is so dangerous and it's so irresponsible because basically what has happened is that we've allowed people who do not care about the poor, people who do not care about the working class, people who do not care about black people to make decisions that affect our everyday lives. And, you know, a lot of what we do is indirectly or directly, we look to someone else to save the day. Oh, we'll let the activists take care of it. Oh, we'll let, you know, uh, the other political wing take care of it. And, you know, that is, (laughs) is to your detriment and understand it affects how you live. It affects how your children live. I've watched what's happened over the last two years, uh, three years now in the midst of, a pandemic in the midst of, you know, the realities of COVID. And I've watched the changes happen in education and healthcare. I've watched the public response to it, regardless of, you know, whether you claim Republican or Democrat. And the solution is clear. The solution is to be in the room when the conversations are had. And once you hear those conversations and you see the actions of people, who do or do not care about you, you have to move accordingly. 
I'll get into some of those organizing ideas after the break. You're listening to Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. This is Donald Doe and Michael Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. It's the West Coast Diva. Tell them, follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. Welcome back to Making the Difference. I'm your host, Ken Making. Want to give you guys a quick legislative review or preview. And I would, just for a few minutes, I'll do this more so on what you may hear on the nightly news. Because I know, you know, some folks are listening in. They're like, well, man, this is a real black assessment. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I do here. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you guys more of a... Um, just an assessment of, of what I heard yesterday and what was brought up. Uh, of course, the uh, abortion debate. And to be clear, uh, there was a South Carolina, the South Carolina Supreme Court made a decision on the abortion ban. They struck it down. And of course, uh, the Republican legislators there were largely disappointed with that decision as well, which is, you know, again, that's just the ideology that they um, subscribe to. And I'm fairly sure that there are people, you know, who are listening to this podcast who are pro-life. Um, I am pro-choice and I, you know, designations and again, Republican branding, that's something that they, you know, they control the media and they control those narratives. And <laughs> so you end up having, you know, terms like pro-life versus pro-choice. And what it ultimately comes down to for me personally is that I understand, number one, that you can't legislate morality. And number two, understand we live in a world of decisions and even if we, you know, or if we were to make this a religious discussion, understand that God gives us free will. And so how can you legislate something other than free will when it comes to a woman's choice, whether she chooses or chooses not to have a baby? And we can get into the fundamental, you know, weeds and trees and all of these different types of things. But it fundamentally comes down to free will and choice that, you know, that our God gives us. And if you believe in, you know, in a Christian God, then you understand free will and what that looks like. So I would say abortion was probably the most uh, discussed topic there. Uh, there were some pretty profound discussions about education and it was pretty interesting because there was a, a democratic uh, Senator state Senator or st yeah, state Senator who, you know, talked about job creation and not understanding how, you know, why, companies would continue to come to South Carolina, even with, you know, the challenges in terms of education. And, you know, I didn't say this out loud, <laughs> but it's, it's fairly, I, I, I understand it fairly clearly. And you have to, you have to look at it this way. Do corporations want a more informed populace or a less informed populace? A less informed populace is easier to exploit. And so, you know, when you look at uh, corporations and the very nature of capitalist exploitation, 
it makes sense that, you know, these um, entities would want to come to um, less educated populaces. Once you educate a person politically, socially, you know, book sense, if you will, understand those people will have options that transcend jobs that don't pay as much or jobs that are that lend more to exploitation. But beyond that, you just we really have to look at, you know, public education and, you know, really what that looks like, I think, just nationwide and what that looks like, you know, in the midst of a pandemic and the opportunities that were missed. Let's just take a brief, a, a brief step back and look at education for a second. OK, so 2020, you basically tell everybody to go home for an extended period of time. You know, kids can learn from home. And at the point of, the, you know, when learn from home first started, teachers, we never appreciated teachers more. Oh, man, teachers do so much, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Then, you know, you have that summer period or, you know, or however you want, whatever you want to call it. Teachers had all the leverage in the world coming back that fall to dictate class size, to dictate um, pay, rate of pay, to dictate all of these different things. And for whatever reason, those negotiations never really happened. Um, Not on a nationwide level, not in the way that they should have happened, which, you know, really was an opportunity to not only radicalize education, but to shift education in a way where, you know, you could have made um, demands for black history to be taught in schools to, you know, to create an education system that was less about America, American propaganda and more about, you know, teaching history, American history in its entirety, the good, the bad, and the ugly. None of those things happened. So, what you had is a perpetuation of status quo. And what you and once those kids came back to school, that was the end of the revolution in that sense. And so here we are now talking about, well, you know, why are we getting these outcomes in education? It's pretty simple because the status quo dictates those conditions. When you have disparities in wealth and income um, inequality, you're, those um, disparities are going to manifest themselves in healthcare. They're going to manifest themselves in education. And so if there's no commitment to making sure that every person is made whole, not just one person, then you're going to have outcomes in education that aren't favorable, favorable. This is why free lunch should be mandatory in every school. This is why I believe you have to mandate parent involvement because that investment is mandatory. If a child is going to be successful in school, so as we sat there, I know some of the, you know, Senate, uh, one of the senators was talking about, you know, we need more, more of a technical school presence, you know, in college. And I certainly can appreciate that. Um, I would say that we need to see more of a technical school presence uh, in K through 12, you know, and there are some schools who are really good at that. And it's, it's something that, you know, we have to, you know, invest in uh, multiple strategies and multiple outcomes to the, the cookie cutter model for education, like has to go away. And we honestly have to supplement the uh, positive outcomes for children, you know, beyond school. Like school is really supposed to be a supplement to what, you know, children are getting at home. And I understand, you know, there are deficiencies at home. It's just a, a that's that's a wide ranging discussion. But ultimately what has to happen is that, you know, we have to increase uh, opportunities in terms of options for kids. Hey, do you want to, you know, work with your hands? Do you want to? You know, do you like math? What subjects do you like? Not only that, but the accurate teaching of history um, and critical thinking. And of course, when you uh, introduce, you know, those opportunities, you're going to have a more informed populace. And 
you know, you get a more informed populace, then you probably won't vote the Republicans in who are, you know, who are anti-abortion and look basically uh, anti-civil rights. So when we come back from our final break, I want to dig into the idea of bipartisanship and what it looks like, you know, in South Carolina and really what it looks like in this country. You're listening to Making a Difference. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your all-state insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8. William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. When you listen to Making a Difference, you're listening to independent black media. And we need your support now more than ever. When it comes to Making a Difference, there are a lot of different ways that you can show love to what we're doing here. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, it's facebook.com backslash making, M-A-K-I-N, a different show. On Twitter, the handle is difference making, M-A-K-I-N. You can also support us financially through both Cash App and Patreon. Patreon, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash making a difference show. You can also support us on Cash App at dollar sign making a different show. Thank you in advance for your support, and I love you so much. Peace. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I was going to actually reemphasize uh, some of the points. Uh, well, I was going to talk about a comment that was made um, by uh, one of the state representatives. And basically, it was just a bunch of pro-police rhetoric and gibberish. And I was just going to tell you how basically we need to <laughs> defund the police with the intent to abolish. And, you know, we need to stop pouring money into, you know, into policing when we have other real issues, um, community-based issues, that if we were to resolve those issues, you would see a significant drop in crime. And that was basically what I was going to close the podcast out with. But there was a word from Mia McLeod. Mia McLeod uh, was a, a Democratic candidate for governor who did not advance out of the primary, um, lost to a, I'll be polite today, Lost to <laughs> uh, Joe Cunningham, who basically, as far as I could tell, was a Republican in Democrats clothing. Anyway, here's what Mia had to say. Uh, after seven months of prayer and reflection, I decided to leave the SC Democratic Party because it no longer espouses the values my constituents and I hold dear. I want you to be the first to know that my decision isn't mean to disparage anyone who identifies as, as an SC Democrat, but the SCDP's, quote, party focused approach doesn't work for the people. And if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for me. It goes on to say, if the definition of insanity is doing the same thing year after year, election after election, and expecting a different result, then the SC Democratic Party is the poster child for what a losing strategy on repeat looks like. Even a, quote, first in the nation presidential primary designation won't change that. Woo. That was honestly my takeaway from the legislative review slash preview. And just being a person in media, being a person who's in proximity to, you know, conversations that take place. The reason why black issues and black people are, you know, kind of put to the side 
It's because largely when the conversations are had, it's a dialogue between white media members and white legislators. And so there's no appreciation, understanding or acknowledgement of black people or black issues. And that is what has to change. Uh, South Carolina is a state with a very proud history in terms of black people and black politics. If you look at reconstruction, you know, and if you look at the vision and the sacrifices that were made, you know, in the late 1860s, early 1970, excuse me, 1870s, you know, you can see a politics that not only uplifted black people, but uplifted all people. And I think that is what you get whenever you invest in civil rights. And I think that's what makes working class politics and even black politics. So, and, and I should say working class politics and black politics so compelling is because it is a politics that is truly for the people. And it's up to black people first to understand and appreciate that and to not, you know, not to take anything for granted. Don't take your vote for granted. Don't take, you know, civic meetings that take place. Don't take those for granted. Like be in the room, be in position. And once you understand what's going on, have the the strength and the courage and the the conviction to organize around those issues. That is something I'm certainly looking forward to this year. And obviously in the years to come, got a lot planned for the uh, next few months for the podcast and beyond. Just really excited to share those things with you. Appreciate you guys checking in with me on making a difference. As always, it's love, peace, and God bless. And listen. This episode of Making a Difference and every episode moving forward will honor the life and legacy of my dear brother, James Macon. James had a way of telling the truth that endeared him to family and made him respected by his friends and peers. That standard is now my gift and my burden of responsibility. Long live St. James. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.